Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an absolute joy to be with each and every one of you. Uh, Before we get started, I got a few announcements. Announcement number one, uh, actually, this is some calendaring. uh, And so if you need to get your phone out or pen and paper, you can go ahead and write this down because these numbers, these dates, these calendar issues are going to be very, very important to you, or you may be left out of what's coming up uh, during this holiday season. But the first one is this. We're having a worship night on the 13th right in here, December 13th at 6.30 p.m. And so uh, it's going to be basically a night of singing Christmas songs together. Doesn't that sound great? Yes, and so it'll be family style, bring the kids, it'll be a lot of fun. Don't miss out on that December 13th at 6.30 p.m. It'll last about an hour or so, so be here. And then we have a Christmas gathering schedule, don't miss this, very important. We're going to have two Christmas Eve gatherings at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, which is the 24th, the day before Christmas, got it? And that'll be our candlelight service and all that, so don't miss that, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. What time? Awesome. Now, there will be no Sunday gathering the following day on the 25th. So we're gathering together the night before, the day before, and not on the 25th. So if you show up on Christmas Day that Sunday, guess who will be here? Just you. <laughs> and a few other people probably because they'll miss it as well. But there will be no gathering on the, 20, uh, on the 25th. And then New Year's Day, January 1st, there will just be one gathering. Typically, we have 9, 11, and 6. But on January 1st, there'll be one gathering at 11 a.m. Say 11 a.m. All right, so one gathering, look, it's New Year's uh, Day, and so like 11 a.m., you'll be fine. You can wake up late and get here at 11 a.m., and then we'll, uh, we'll have everything open for that as well. Sound good? And then the last thing, if you've been here with us for a while, we've been doing our year-end giving campaign called Beyond 2022, and we talked about we're trying to raise $100,000 extra to give uh, beyond the walls of Grace Point Church, so every dollar, every dime of that will go outside of these walls beyond these walls to all of our church planting endeavors around the world. We talked about Acts 29 last week. We showed the video. We said we have about 800 churches that we're a part of that we get to be a part of prayerfully and supporting as well. And then also we have Arjuna in India, which you'll hear about next week, Karim in Turkey, uh, Andrew in Ireland, and we have our very own Myra and Carlos Gonzalez. They're from right here at Grace Point Church. Uh, I believe they met the Lord here. They were baptized here. And then the Lord sent them on mission back to El Salvador. And so we've got a quick video, just a little update on what's going on with them. So check this out on the screen. Hello, Grace Point Church from El Salvador. I am Myra, and this is Carlos, and we lead the Give Foundation, which stands for Generosity is Value Everywhere. For those who don't know us, we are covenant partners at Grace Point Church. A couple of years ago, we gave our lives to Jesus, and our lives have been transformed ever since. We were called to mission through Matthew 25, And we sold our home, we sold our belongings, we packed our bags, we packed our dogs, and we are now living in El Salvador. Here in El Salvador, we serve in the town of San Sebastián Salifío, which we are developing nutrition, education, and youth ministry programs. We want to take a minute or two to share with you a few images and videos of what we are doing here. We are excited to share that we have acquired land to begin building the house which is the building block of everything we will do here. The house is a place where we will share Jesus and the gospel, a place to serve the community and a place to host missions. The house won't be ready anytime soon, but that's not stopping us from continuing with the other programs and starting missions. So we are launching the scholarship program where we will provide transportation, meals, and educational resources. 
eliminating all obstacles that prevent students from continuing in higher education. As you hear this message, we are getting ready to welcome the students to the program and preparing for the upcoming school year by purchasing a vehicle that will transport the students to and from school. We also want to share that 180 families continue to receive monthly food packs. Our emphasis is to assist the elderly and for the students of the youth ministry to serve their community through the program. It is a blessing to provide this food security to them. God has allowed us to provide for this community and we wish we could share about the many other projects in the programs, such as the literacy program, the classroom library, the clothing distribution, just to name a few. So lastly, we want to leave you with an invitation to come and see what we are doing through your generous support. So lastly, all there is to say is, Gracias! Gracias! Muchísimas gracias. Muchas gracias. Muchísimas gracias. Gracias por todo. Thank you, Grace Point Church, for your generosity and for allowing this ministry to move forward. We hope to see you here soon. That's awesome. Hey, if, uh, if you haven't had an opportunity just to support them directly, make sure you uh, go to Centerpoint or go to our website and kind of follow it through to the Give Foundation. They're just doing amazing work down there. They're two just amazing people. Uh, and so also with that, we're going to be sending mission teams down there in the future, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, but with all that said, uh, we're just encouraging all of us to get together as a family and give to these church planning and these mission efforts all over the world. You notice right over there to your left, you see the big thing on the wall over there. It's a big piece of art covered up with these little magnets. The little magnets have a QR code and a dollar amount on there. If you would consider uh, this year as you're thinking about giving gifts, if you would give a gift to uh, just gospel movement uh, throughout the world. Grab one of these off in whatever amount you want, scan it and give to that, and we can raise that goal of 100 grand and really help uh, fuel these mission work around the world. Sound good? All right, cool. Let's get started. Uh, this time last year, I said a phrase and it confused you. And so we're a year removed from that phrase. It's this time of year again. I'm going to try it one more time and see if you're still confused. Are you ready? Happy New Year! And still confused. Cool. Hey, Today marks the beginning of a new year for us as Christians. When you think about the liturgical calendar, it is the season of Advent. And Advent simply means arrival. Uh, and this season, we take four weeks leading up to uh, what we call the birth of Jesus, Christmas. Uh, and we look at uh, two arrivals of Jesus. His first arrival, where God incarnate came to us, that would be the first coming of Christ. And then always, also we look to the second coming of Christ, that he will return and redeem and restore all things. And so we kind of mark out this season so we can have this great anticipation and, and excitement and, and expectation of Jesus' first return, looking back to that and looking ahead to the second uh, return of Christ as well. And so we're going to now start the season of Advent. Happy New Year again. We're preparing the way for Jesus. So uh, we're starting this series through Advent called Prepare the Way. And what we want to do is we want to look at the Bible, how the Bible was preparing people for the first advent of Jesus. And we also want to be prepared uh, for the second advent of Jesus as well. Our King has come and He is to come. And so uh, I want to look through the Bible at his first arrival because it was very well known throughout the Old Testament that the king was going to come to them. And so if you've got a Bible, we're just going to jump right in. We'll be in the book of Malachi. It's the last uh, book of the Bible in your Old Testament. If you go ahead and turn there, that'd be great, Malachi. 
Uh, here at Grace Point Church, we lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one here. Uh, so we have those in English and Spanish right on these front tables or out at Center Point as well. If you have a smartphone, you can download the YouVersion app and all the notes will be on there. But we're going to start in Malachi. I know it looks like it says Malachi, which is an even cooler word to say, but it's Malachi. Malachi 3. Are you there? Okay, let's do this together. Malachi 3.1 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. All right, let's do a little investigative study. Uh, who is speaking in this verse? If, was anyone here with us last week? When Dr. Gary Bashirs was here and he'd ask a question, everybody was really hesitant, like, I don't know if I should answer or not. Hey, it's me, guys. It's cool. You can answer, <laughs> you can answer me. I'm not a professor. I'm not really smart. So, like, it's okay. Who's talking in the text right here? It's God, right? God, the Lord is speaking through his prophet there, uh, and God is making a promise. What is his promise right here? What is he saying? That he is going to come. But what must happen before God comes? A messenger must come, right? Who is the messenger? Time out, time out. We don't have it yet. So we're going to say, we don't know thus far. And so God is going to come. He's making a promise right here that I'm going to come. And before I come, you will know to be prepared because I'm going to send a messenger ahead of me. Got it? Okay, now let's slide on over to one more chapter further to Malachi chapter four. And I want you to hear a little bit about this messenger because this is going to make sense in just a moment. Malachi four, verses five and six. This is probably the last words of the Old Testament. It says this. Behold, this is God speaking again through his prophet. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord to come. So day of the Lord typically means when, when God is coming. So this is his first arrival. After he comes, when you hear day of the Lord again, that's his second arrival, okay? So the day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their father, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So either Elijah is going to return or someone like Elijah is going to return. If you know anything about Elijah, what was Elijah's role in all this? What, what was his position? What was his job? What was he? He was a prophet. That's right. So Elijah was a prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet basically speaks on behalf of God. They are the mouthpiece of God. God tells them something to say. They say it to the people. So, he is a, so he's like a, a prophet here. He's a mouth or, or a, a voice of God. And so what God is saying through him is my, my next move in human history, the one you need to be watching out for is that a prophet will come. And this prophet is going to preach what? A message of repentance. Did you see uh, the language in there that he's going to turn people back, turn people to? And that's what repentance means. Repentance means to turn. Got that? Sometimes the word repentance gets a really bad rap of like, I got to stop doing these things. Or it's like, turn or burn. I saw the little sandwich board guy downtown or whatever that is. Repentance is a great thing. Repentance means to turn. And so this one is going to come and say, hey, everybody, turn to the Messiah, turn to God himself, turn to him. And as a kicker with that, you're going to turn to one another as well. It's very, very, very important. You're going to turn to God and turn back to uh, relationships, turn back to restored relationships and peace with one another. Does that sound right? And so uh, Malachi, God is speaking through Malachi. Malachi is saying, get ready. Now imagine the people at that time. They're hearing this they're like, all right, we're ready. And then 400 years pass by right? Like when the Old Testament ends, how much distance is between the Old Testament and New Testament? 
About 400 years. 400 years is a long time. How, long, how old is America now? Like 30 years old? So it acts like it sometimes. I don't know. But anyway, it's like what? Two, over 200 years old or so? Yeah. Uh, 400 years is a long time. I, and imagine the people like hearing this promise and time goes by and times go by and they're like, wait, has God forsaken us? Is God's promise is not true? Well, it's not true for me right now, so I need to pass this to the next generation. And imagine passing it to the next generation and passing it to the next generation. And along the way, some people are going to fall away. Along the way, some people are going to rebel against God or forget God or not get past them. But along the way, there's a remnant. There are people that are still holding on to the promise. There are still people waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting for this one to come, to preach this message of turning to God and turning back to one another. They're waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, fast forward to the Gospel of Luke. It's a super exciting Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to spend our time. It's exciting stuff. I, I, just, I love this anticipation that the Bible uh, puts us through. I love it. Uh, this gospel is written by a guy by the name of Luke. Uh, we believe that Luke was medically trained somehow, so he's kind of like a doctor. You can call him Dr. Luke if you want to. If you notice, uh, there's four different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four have some similarities, but some are different. It's because they're written uh, by a different person, which gives it a different style. Uh, Luke's gospel, which I really enjoy about that, and some of you will really enjoy as well of Luke's gospel, it's very detailed. If you like details, if you're a detailed person, uh, this is for you. If you're like me, the, the gospel of Mark is for you. It's to the point and it moves really fast. And I love it. Uh, but Luke is a lot of details. Uh, and the, the, the main character of Luke, of course, is Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. But one of the fun things about the gospel of Luke is he really gives focus and attention to the lost, the last, and the least. And I, it just really draws our heart to care about the world around us. And so we get into Luke. It's been uh, 400 years of silence. This breaks forward in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And so 400 years of silence has been broken. The Holy Spirit's inspiring. We hear this writing, and here's what happens. Now, we're introduced to three people, and I think we need to um, figure out these three people, because we know what's going on within the context. Uh, the first person the text mentions is who? King Herod. Or also in that time period, he is known as Herod the Great. He was a king. He ruled over Judea. Uh, the region of Judea would be mostly Jewish people. And so he was known uh, as Herod the King of Judea or Herod the King of the Jews in his time period. Now, uh, if you know a little bit about, about the Bible, that kind of gives you a little bit of clue of later on, what is uh, nailed above Jesus' head when he goes to the cross? Right, a little bit of a mocking term right there. Uh, now, the Herod is not the capital K king. He's not the Caesar. There's a Caesar uh, that's above him. So he's kind of like a, a minor king of the time. Think of like a governor over a region would be his, his job. Uh, and so um, what is he known for? Uh, he's known for being um, a murderer. Like he had lots of people slaughtered. Uh, when, when Jesus was prophesied to come, uh, he wanted to make sure that there would be no rival to him because he heard like there's this one baby who's going to come and actually be the king of the Jews. He's like, not on my watch. And so he goes, has all the two-year-old boys killed. Uh, that's terrible. He got really paranoid. Like he would dress up as a commoner and go walk around the streets and hear the scuttle on what people are saying about him. And if he didn't like it, we'd have all those people executed. So much so he was paranoid to where he thought his wife and kids were out to get him. So he had his wife and a couple of his sons murdered. 
yeah, he's a bad guy, right? We would not say, hey, that's a good guy. No, he's a bad guy. I want you to note, because this will make sense as the weeks go on, this is the world in which our Messiah is coming. This is the world in which Jesus was walking into. It's a political uh, powder keg there. I mean, it's just really, really tough situation. The Jews are under, uh, the Romans are on top and, and oppressing them. It's not a good situation. So there is Herod. And then we have Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. Uh, in that time period, temple and sacrifice, uh, Zechariah is the one that would pray for people, the one who would offer sacrifices to the people. Don't think pastor, but kind of pastoral in some sense. Uh, but he was kind of like the middleman between God and the people. And so he, he would be a priest. Uh, it's, it's interesting, Old Testament names really matter because they mean something. And his name means God has remembered. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? It's been 400 years, and Zechariah, the priest, the one that this is all going to go down through, God will remember, or God has remembered. And then he has a wife. Her name is Elizabeth. She's from the line of Aaron, so that means like she, she's got ministry in her family heritage. She's kind of like a PK so much, uh, a pastor's kid in a way back then as well, but she's got ministry uh, uh, just kind of in, in her family. Her name means... God's oath or God's promise. Isn't that great? God will remember in God's promise. History tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were uh, a little bit aged in life. They were, they were like a fine wine. They were very matured. They were at the age of between 50 to 70 years old. That is important. Very important fact. They are about 50 to 70 years old. What do we know about them when we look down at verse 6? It says, they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. What does that mean? They were righteous before God, meaning they had a right relationship with God, uh, which is really good. And because they had a right relationship with God, they were walking blamelessly. What does it mean to walk blameless? Well, walking blamelessly does not mean they were sinless. For some, some way, shape, or form, maybe an attitude or a word every once in a while, they still had sin in them, right? They were on this side of Jesus. There's still sin of somehow there, but they walked blameless. To walk blameless means if accusations are being thrown around, they rarely stick to you. Doesn't that sound great to be blameless? Like if someone were to say, hey, they're prideful, like, no, they're not. Uh, hey, they're a glutton or drunk. No, they're not. Hey, they're greedy or foolish. No, they're not. Hey, they're impatient and unkind to unbelievers. No, 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 they're not. Hey, they're an unloving spouse. No, they're not. Hey, they're just not, they're not a good parent. No, no, they're not. Like nothing would stick to you. I'm like, wouldn't that be our prayer, Grace Point Church, us to say, hey, we want to be a people. When people think of Grace Point Church, when they think of you, we are a people that walk blamelessly that we're known by our right relationship with God and that we walk imperfectly as we do, but we're a people that strive to walk blame. Isn't that great? I mean, th this is what they are known for. Like, this is a good thing right here. So, so, so far in the text, it looks like they have a lot going for them. Now we get to verse seven, it says this, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, advanced in years, what's that mean? That's just a nice way of saying they're old. <laughs> now you can say that about yourself. I'm advanced in years. It's like, no, you're just old. Um, they, they have this problem here. They do not have a child. Uh, Elizabeth was barren. Remember uh, Abraham and Sarah? And Sarah was barren. They use the word barren. Barren sounds like a desert that doesn't grow anything. And that, re that word is used uh, for a reason. 
And, and back in that day and back in that culture, if you were barren, if you could not have a child, uh, it's, it wasn't a compassionate moment for you. It was a moment where everyone would look at you suspect. They would think, oh, the reason why you don't have a child is because you've done something wrong and God is not happy with you and God is punishing you because you have done something wrong. Now imagine living in that world when uh, people would look at you and see that you'd grown older and you still hadn't had any kids or anything like that. People would look at you with contempt. People would look at you with like just, a, just a suspicion that something's not right with you because you don't have a child. Imagine what that would feel like for Elizabeth. Imagine just the scrutiny she would go and just the pain she would feel just from, just from onlookers. Imagine the disappointment they felt. Talk about disappointment. Some of us here, we, we know what it's like to be disappointed in life. They probably had a whole lot of disappointment. We probably have some disappointment. It may be childlessness. It may not be childlessness. It may be, maybe you're in a season of life. You thought, by this time in my life, I thought I would be married. And, and you're disappointed because you don't have a spouse. Or, or you thought, I thought at this time in my life, I would be healthy. I would be moving forward in my life. But there's some kind of illness or some kind of disability. Or you thought you'd be further along than what you are. Or you thought all these things would happen, all these dreams and hopes and aspirations. And yet they did not happen. And you are disappointed. I got two questions for all of us today. Question number one. I really want you to process this question. Question number one. What is your greatest disappointment in life right now? I want you to think about it. I want you to kind of name it in your mind right now. What is your greatest disappointment in life right now? Give me, give me that kind of nod if you got it. Just give me a nod. Just let me know. Let me know you're still listening. Okay. Second question. What are you doing with your greatest disappointment in life? Think about it. What, are you, what, are, what are you doing with it? Um, so, sometimes pastors, preachers can say things that sound like they rhyme and they're kind of cutesy and like, oh, if it rhymes, it must be godly. It's not always. But in this case, uh, our disappointment, I've heard this phrase at times, will either make us bitter or better. I don't like using the better word there, but, it, but if not careful, our disappointment can make us bitter. Our disappointment has a way of making us Poor theologians as well. Poor theologians in the sense of we stop trusting God. Poor theologians in the sense of we stop thinking that God is good because we feel like sometimes through our disappointment, well, God may be good to other people, but he's not good to me. Look to Elizabeth and Zechariah. They served God even though they didn't get what they wanted. Can you, can you hear that? They served God. They loved God. They worshiped God and, and, and served him even though they didn't get what they want. There is no hint of what have we done to deserve this. No, there's this idea of like, how can we serve God through this? What if instead of our disappointments, we're not like, oh, what did I do to deserve this? Why not use it to like, hey, how can I serve God with this or through this or in spite of this or because of this? You know, I think about Elizabeth and, Elizabeth and I think about Zechariah here. They could have blamed a lot of things. Well, God, this is the reason why we don't love you. And God, this is the reason why we're not going to serve you. God, this is the reason why we're mad at you. And God, this is the reason why I don't like her and I'm mad at her. And so I'll just jump to another spouse that maybe can produce a child for me. You don't see any blame right there. What are they known for? Being blameless. 
I love that idea. They didn't use this disappointment like just to blame, 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 blame God, blame one another, blame everybody else. No, they used this. They walked blamelessly. It looks like Elizabeth and Zechariah, they endured during disappointment. Their example provokes us to ask, will we serve God faithfully even while we're disappointed and even disappointed with God? Will we serve him faithfully? Maybe you have no child or maybe it's no spouse or no dream job or no dream home or no dream car or no perfect health. You're not living in the dream city you always dreamed of, but will you serve God in spite of all that? They did, and I think that's a great example for us. Now, them being childless sets the whole scene for us. Go back to the text. Look at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, I'll come back to that in just a moment, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot. Anyone remember from, uh, we just preached to the book of Esther and Lot or Lots were using it. Anybody, anyone remember what Lot or Lots are? What, what, what does it remind you of? Come on, Vegas people. All right, cool. I don't know if you do it like that, but that's what I do. Okay. <laughs> chosen by Lot, because I do. I'm always, you know, okay. He was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burnt incense, burnt incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense. So what's going on here? During that time, there would be about 18,000 priests of the Lord. Uh, they would be subdivided into 24 different divisions and, and put in different regions and different areas. Uh, be out 750 in each one of the regions, spread out even to smaller regions, towns and cities and all that good stuff. Uh, each priest would go to Jerusalem one week, two times a year to minister at the big temple, two times a year. So this is a big deal. And they would all come together and they would sit around and shoot the dice or cast the lots and see who the lots would fall on. And if the lot fell on you, then you just got called up to the big leagues and you got to go in there and burn incense and offer the prayers. And once you made it to that, you never did it again. It was one and done. They'd mark you off the list. And some priests would never get that honor. But if you got called up to that, that was a big deal. And so the lot fell on Zechariah. It's like um, the NBA All-Stars were like, hey, you're on the All-Star team this year. Then after this year, you're done. But anyway, you're on it this year. And so this is a really big deal for him. And so Zechariah, at this time, he would walk into the temple, uh, but only this, on this side of the veil. He couldn't go into the, into the Holy of Holies because he was not the great high priest. He was just a priest. And so he could go in there and be ornamental and beautiful. You can read the Old Testament and hear what it looks like. And he would take incense, like frankincense and myrrh, and put it over the coals and pray, offer prayers on behalf of God's people. Meanwhile, everyone's outside of the temple and they're praying as well. Uh, and waiting for him to come out and give the blessing. Can you, can, you, can you see the scene? You got it in your mind? Okay. What does the incense symbolize, though? The burning of incense. You ever wondered that? Well, I'll tell you what. In the book of Revelation, it talks about this big bowl uh, that's in the presence of God. And uh, uh, the big bowl, Revelation says, is filled with the prayers of God's people. And so when we pray, we need to pray thinking like that. It's like burning incense. It goes into the presence of God uh, and it gives him this great smell that he enjoys. Imagine how that would change our prayer life a little bit if we thought when I pray, it's like this beautiful smell that goes into the nostrils of God. Isn't it great? So I was like, let's, let's pray. Now, what did 
Zechariah pray for in that moment? I feel pretty confident, the text doesn't say, but I feel confident to say he would pray for the deliverance of his people. They're under Roman rule. Uh, they have the promises of the Old Testament. They know someone's going to come and, and put them back on top or whatever that would look like. And so I feel pretty confident uh, that he's praying for his people, right? I mean, that's what the priest does. And forgiveness of sin and things of that nature. I would speculate he prays for a child as well. I mean, wouldn't you? Like, you're, like, baby, you just made it in. You're inside. You know on the other side of that veil is the presence of God. It's like, why not? Like, let's just get at it and let's see what happens. I think it's purely speculation, uh, but I think. And so what happens when he does this? Go to verse 11. You still with me? Okay, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel. So he's in there by himself. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. All right. So this is no ordinary day. Angels just don't pop out every time they go in there. And so an angel shows up. Uh, and, and, and side note, for some of you, you're like, ooh, I don't, I don't like talking about angels. It's okay. But our Bible talks a lot about angels. And so angels are real spiritual beings uh, that we see all throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, when you look at the New Testament, the word angels is in there more time than the word love. The word angels is in there more, to- more times than the word sin. So angels get a lot of play. And I would take it one step further, and you can do the research on, on your own, but you look in the book of Hebrews, and it, it, it kind of leads us to believe that there are ministering angels that are kind of superintending and watching out and take care of. Now, don't, be careful with the whole guardian angel thing, but there are angels that are kind of directing and guiding and helping and leading, right? I think so. You can do that research on your own. But think about it. What would you do if you saw a visible angel right now? What would happen? You'd freak out. Don't, but no, man, I'd be cool. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Let's see what he does. Verse 12. Zechariah was troubled, which is just a nice, clean Bible word to say. He freaked out. Uh, he was troubled when he saw him and fell upon him, and fear fell upon him. Well, so typically when you have a, an angel encounter in the Bible, one of two things happen. You freak out or you start worshiping the angel. And anytime they start worshiping angels, angels like, whoa, 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 <laughs> wrong guy. No, nope, not me. Don't do that. Uh, so right here, we had a freak out moment and he was full of fear. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. I love that. The angel's like, it's okay. You're going to be all right. Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Hey, does this remind you of anyone in the Old Testament? Who does this remind you of? Of the Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. I know you want to say Jesus. Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, right? I mean, these, these people, are, they're well past their baby-making days, right? I mean, menopause has, 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 has delivered, you know? It's like, that's, that's going on there. How can this be? I mean, this is impossible physically. But the line right here says from the angel, says, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. God answers prayer. Did you believe that? Like God answers prayer. Bradley, do you believe that God answers prayer? Yeah, he answers prayer. Nolan, do you believe that God answers prayer? He does. Like God answers prayers. Why would we not pray? But he does answer prayers. I like what what Luke says later on in, in his writings. In Luke 18, he says this, but he says, this is Jesus talking, What is impossible with man is what? 
do you believe that? Like, what is impossible with us? Like, no, God answers that. Now, how long have they been praying for a child? And that's a little bit of a speculation. How long have they been praying? Maybe 50 years or so? There's a sense, though, they never gave up. Again, speculation. I think he prayed while he was in there. And uh, our Bibles tell us that God stores up our prayers like he bottles our tears as well. Like God remembers those things. And so I don't think he ever stopped praying. Here's my question for us. What have you stopped praying about? Listen, if you follow Jesus long, long enough and like you feel like at times your prayers haven't been answered, there are times in which we as followers of Jesus will just stop praying about something. If we got really, we just like, we, we just like you know what? Well, he hasn't answered yet. And so I just stopped praying. You, you know that God always answers prayers, right? 100% of the time, 10 out of 10 times, God answers prayers. You know why he answers prayers? Yes. No. There's a third way. Wait. And we hate that one, don't we? It's like, God, just tell me no so I can move on. And God's like, nah, just wait. And when we hear wait or when we hear nothing, which points to the wait, you know what we're supposed to keep doing? Just keep praying. Don't stop praying. So what prayer have you quit praying? Is it for someone's salvation? Hey, let me just, let me put my cards on the table. I've got family that like, it's been two decades. I've been a follower of Jesus for a little over two, two decades now. And I've got mom, dad, I got family, man, I got family. And overseas, and this is like, you know, trying to share the gospel or trying to do this or that. And like, you just, you just kind of feel like it's a hopeless situation. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes there go like season where I'm like, I just, I just kind of stop praying. It's not that I don't believe that God can answer it, but sometimes you just get, you get tired. And like, as I was reading this, it was a reminder of like, man, he probably prayed, she probably prayed maybe 50 years. It was just a reminder for me, like, don't stop praying. So what is it that you need to keep praying for? Is it like a wayward child? Is it a spouse that their heart will return to you? Some kind of dream you had a long time? What is it that you have just gotten weary from prayer that you need to keep praying for? Keep praying. God answers prayers. Don't stop praying. Write it down. Tell other people. Get other people praying for you. Don't stop praying. Now, back to the text. There's a promise for a son. Who gets to name this child? Usually parents name kids, am I right? It's kind of the normal way. But who names the child in this one? God, uh, Gabriel, the angel, like, hey, uh, God already gave him a name. His name is what? John. John, John the Baptist, or may known as John the Baptizer, uh, he's got a, a, a big role in this whole story, preparing the way for the Messiah. Uh, remember that text from Malachi? Remember how it was written 400 years earlier than this moment? Remember that someone kind of like Elijah, a prophet must come first to prepare the way for the Messiah? Well, who do you think that is? It, it's John. John is to prepare the way for the Messiah. John is the man who's going to get people ready to meet Jesus. I mean, you understand, like, sometimes when a very important person comes, usually someone comes before them to, to introduce you to them. You ever, you ever been, like, um, I used to, as a kid, watch late night shows. Late night shows as a kid was amazing. And one of my favorite late sh night shows I watched as a kid was Arsenio Hall. Did anyone else watch that? And remember the announcer would come on, and what would the announcer do? Arsenio! Remember anybody remember that? Oh, then what's everyone in the crowd do? Anybody give it to me. Come on, somebody give it to me. Where's my dog pack? That's it, right? 
And so in that moment, Arsenio Hall was like the most important person. Like if the, if the future president's going to come on the scene, someone's going to come up here and they're like, uh, welcome to the, the new president, John Dutton, or whoever it's going to be. We don't know yet. Anywho, uh, but you get it. Someone comes and introduces someone important. So John's role, we see from Malachi 400 years earlier, is to introduce the most important ever person ever. And his name is? And so John is super important. I'll tell you how important John is. Uh, Jesus starts talking about John after he comes. And this is what Jesus says about John later on in Luke. You look at the first half of, of Luke 7, 28. It says, I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Jesus said that about John. That's some street cred right there. When Jesus, when, could you imagine being John? Like, yeah, Jesus says I'm the greatest person ever born of a woman. I'm kind of a big deal. Anyway, that'd be amazing. Anyway, the angel continues, verse 14. And you will have joy. So this is the angel speaking to Zechariah. You have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, John's. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a connection there, even from his mother's womb. I love, I love uh, how Luke, how the angel has said, and Luke has recorded the precision of what's going on here, because he says that John will be great, and I think that is a diss to Herod, because what was Herod known as? Not only Herod was the king of Jews, he was known as Herod the what? And he's like, nah, Herod's not that great. John, though, is great. And yeah, we can be great in the world's eye, we can be great in a lot of things in the world, and that may be good, not good, but what matters most is that we're great before the Lord. And when we just live out our life of following Jesus, and it could be so obscure and no one knows about it, and yet we are just our general faithfulness to the Lord and walking with Him and communing with Him and loving people well, guess what, you, guess what you'll be known as as well? Great before the Lord. Isn't that great? You don't have to do big, awesome, mighty things. Just, just commune with Him. Just be faithful. Just love Him. Just walk with Him. I like that. Anyway, um, yeah. Now, it says here that he shouldn't drink alcohol. I feel like like when we read that, people are like, oh, 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 what should we do with that? Uh, well, why does he not, or why is he forbidden to drink alcohol? He's kind of in the line of what's called a Nazarite. The Nazarite, they practice certain aesthetics to, um, certain, uh, they would abstain from certain things in order to set themselves apart in different ways before God. So what do we do with alcohol here? Well, the, the scriptures, the Bible does allow for people to drink alcohol. Uh, we have this thing called freedoms in Christ, and, and we have freedoms to do such. But when it comes to our freedoms, there are times when it's best for some to lay freedoms down. So for you, especially during the holiday season, this is a great conversation we can have. When should you lay these down? Well, if drinking alcohol causes you to be ungodly or sinful, you should probably not drink alcohol. Uh, drinking alcohol is not a sin. Drunkenness is always a sin. 10 times out of 10, drunkenness is a sin. Uh, or if drinking alcohol causes other people around you to stumble in ways that is not helpful, uh, doesn't help them pursue God or something like that, then it's probably a time to abstain at least there or to abstain at all. So to summarize that, some of us in here can drink. Some of us in here cannot drink. And some of us in here should not drink. Sound good? <laughs> And side note, let me add a little bit more with that. You ever notice the text? This is not about alcohol message, but I'm going for it because I'm going to be out of time soon. Uh, if you ever read uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, 
It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And in this text as well, notice it puts alcohol and the Spirit in the same line. Do you see that? Why is that? Perhaps. Sometimes the more, we're like a, we are like a vessel, and sometimes the more alcohol we put in, the more Holy Spirit gets pushed down and drowned out. That's why the Bible says over and over, sober-minded, be sober-minded. And so when we drowned out the Holy Spirit with so much alcohol, we are now under the influence and control of a substance, which you can throw anything else in there as well, and not under the control of the Holy Spirit. And in my best estimation, in the world we live now, we need more sober-minded Christians uh, being led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. But again, the Bible does allow for alcohol. It may be wise, may not be wise. Let's just be wise. Sound good? Let's roll on. Okay. And it says here that he is filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. That is unique. That is interesting. That means from conception, this dude is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that true of us? No. We see later on in Acts, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and starts filling believers at that point. And so we must trust, believe, repent, and, and then have the Holy Spirit. In this situation, there's a unique situation going on where John is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's just very, that's very unique. Verse 16. What's he going to do? What's this John fellow going to do? He will turn, keyword, keyword, turn, another word, repent. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him and this before him, the him is the Lord, the one to come, the Messiah. Go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. John is coming to get people ready for Jesus to come. Did you hear what all John is supposed to do? What did, it, what did it remind you of from the beginning of this message? Come on, 400 years ago, guy who's got a really cool sounding name when you say Malachi? Malachi. It reminds you, kind of, it's basically the same thing. So John has this huge role uh, to play in this redemptive story. He preaches this message of repentance. If you know, futuristically, when you see John the baptizer, he's telling everybody, repent and trust Jesus. Repent and trust Jesus. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is the hand. Remember those things where he's out in the desert, he's wearing like camel's clothes and like eating bugs and all kinds of crazy stuff? And what is he telling people? Repent. And when people repent and get in right relationship with God, the goal is as well that they turn back towards one another and they get in right relationship with one another. My Bible tells me it's hard to be right with God if we're not right with other people. Put that in your vape and smoke it. Like, right? Like, we think, no, 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 I'm good with God. I can hate everyone around me. No, you can't. You can't. I can't get that from the Bible. You can't. Uh, more on that in a moment, but it's interesting in the text. He says it's going to turn the hearts to the, the, the children, the children's heart to the father, that there's going to be reconciliation, that the parents are going to start leading their children to love the Lord and to know the Lord. And that, heart, that like homes, like that's a part of when people are saved, homes sometimes, typically, kind of usually, they get restored. They get redeemed. Proper roles start to happen and love happens and, and grace happens and forgiveness happens. And typically when someone gets saved in the household, other people get saved as well. And so I think that's what he's talking about here. Now, John will pick up where Malachi left off. Could you imagine 
go back into the, the temple there. Imagine what's going on in Zechariah's mind. Zechariah's going to be like so happy. He's got to be giddy. He's like, I'm going to get a son, not just any son. He's going to be a godly son. He's going to be the one that's going to be preparing the way for the Messiah to come. He's going to be famous. He's going to be known. It's going to be amazing. And like, I'm sure he's super excited about having a boy. Can you hear the other thing that Zechariah is hearing as well? He is hearing something else. Not only are you getting a son, but what is he hearing? The Messiah is coming. In your lifetime, the Messiah is coming. Like 400 years of waiting, the Messiah is coming. Like hope is coming to us. Peace is coming to us. I mean, I can just imagine him just giddy in that moment, excited. How does he respond? Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? <laughs> For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That's funny right there. Where there should have been trust, there was doubt. Could you imagine the look on Gabriel? I don't know if he had a face. You can imagine. Could you imagine the look on Gabriel's face when Gabriel's telling him all this stuff and all this good news and everything's going to happen? Hmm, how shall I know this to be true? Gabriel's going like, dude, Zachariah, you've been praying for a child for decades. You won the dice. You know, it was by luck. It wasn't God did that. Uh, and now you're in here. You're offering incense. You're saying you're asking God for a baby. God's presence is behind the veil. I'm an angel. I come out in hiding and talk to you about this. I mean, bro, what else do you need? I mean, like, there's your sign right there. We laugh at that. We're the same way. God's word says you're forgiven. God's word says that he loves you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And you're like, yeah, but I don't know about me. I've done some bad things. I've said some terrible, awful stuff. I don't think God can forgive me. What? <laughs> the Bible says he does. And he loves you and he wants you and he cares for you. And his mercies are new every day. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believe it. Isn't that good news? Don't doubt it. Believe it. I think it's kind of funny, too, that Zechariah is like, hey, 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 man, we're old. And Gabriel's like, duh, dude, I got eyes. I can see you. Like the balding head, the little pooch right there. I got you, man. You old. But what's impossible with man? Anyway, you get it. Verse 19. That's just funny. Verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. He's like, man, fact check it, dude. Like, you know me, Gabriel from the Old Testament. You've heard of me. Uh, I stand before God. God's like, hey, there's Zechariah down there. Go say these things to him. So like, it, if I say it, it is true. And then he says, I bring you good news. What, what, what's, a way, what's one word that you use to summarize good news? Anybody know that word? Gospel. I got the gospel. I got the goods. Like, I'm, I'm bringing this good news. And this good news, Zechariah, is not just for you and Elizabeth. This good news is not just for Israel. This good news is not just for the world, but it's for us sitting right here as well. When we hear this, we should get a little giddy of like, there's good news for us. The Messiah, when they look back, was coming. Now we can look back and say, he has come. This is the good news. Let me keep going. Verse 20, and behold, so Gabriel's like, uh, going to talk to Zechariah about this doubt thing. Behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. There's consequences. Listen, man, uh, if you're in Christ, you're, you're a Christian, like we won't, we won't get hell, we won't get condemnation, 
But believe you me, if we are disobedient, if we are not trusting, there are consequences for us. You, you, ever, you, ever, you ever felt the consequences of God? Not fun. But guess what? He's a good father and you're a son or daughter. And so he's disciplining you in order to correct you and get you back to his path or help you along or do something like that, right? It's for your good. It's good. Uh, verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple speculation. Uh, they've been going through 400 years of kind of going through the motion a little bit. And they've got this thing like down like clockwork. They're like, you know, this usually takes about three minutes. That takes about two minutes. We'll be home before the game starts kind of deal. And so they're sitting out there. And they're like, bro, what is taking you so long in there? So they're waiting outside. Verse 22. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, uh, he went to his home. So Zechariah came out. He's supposed to come out and give a blessing. Couldn't do it. You know, the irony of this, he's got the best news ever. And he can't say a word. And if you look further into uh, Luke chapter 1, I think about verse 62 or 63, somewhere around there, it says uh, the other people were making like charade signals to him. Uh, I just wonder if he couldn't hear, if he's not only... Uh, couldn't speak, but if he was deaf as well. Like, imagine this horrible announcement. Yeah, you know, this game of charades when he comes out of like, uh, he's trying to explain to them through charades that him and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. I won't even try that. And then, uh, and then like God is going to come. I mean, like he can't, he can't talk. It's crazy. Verse twenty-four. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. What do you call that? Fulfillment. Promise fulfilled. God, God answered the prayer. God fulfilled his promises. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hid, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. The promise came true. God is preparing the way in, here, in this story for his first arrival. The Messiah is coming, and John is going to get the people ready. Isn't that great? What do we do about this? Well, I think in this Advent season, it's a time for us to prepare. I know it's Christmas season and we're thinking about gifts, we're thinking about meals, we're thinking about all kinds of things. And so I got three ways, and I'm going to be very brief because we're about out of time. I got three ways for us to go ahead and prepare for this king's arrival. They'll be simple. Number one, repent. Repent. Remember, repent means to turn. To turn. Turn to Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came. And he lived as God in the flesh, came for you and lived for you in your place with no sin whatsoever. Jesus died because we are sinful and he is not. He died in our place. And then three days later, he came back to life, defeating sin, Satan, and death. And so he, he is there for you to save you. So all you need to do is turn and trust him. And so my question for you today is, if you have not trusted Jesus, what in the world are you waiting on? Like, like, don't wait. You don't worry about getting religious. Don't worry about getting your act together. Don't worry about getting cleaned up. Don't worry about any of those type of things. And just repent, turn, and trust Jesus today. He's done all the work. Don't wait. If you wait and Jesus returns a second time or you die, you, my friend, and I want to be honest with you, you've run out of time. And, and for lack of better words, you're doomed. It's not a cheery Christmas message, but it's the truth. You're doomed. And so right now is a time to trust or repent. Maybe for some of you who are believers, 
Maybe, um, maybe you're holding on to some type of sin, some kind of pattern, something like that. And, and Advent means to be redeemed. It's a part of being redeemed, that God is going to come and redeem all things. And the second Advent of Jesus, he's going to come and make all things right. And so if there are things not in our, right in our life that we know of that are not pleasing to the Lord, whether it be a habit, whether it be uh, an attitude or something like that, let's repent. Christians, we have this great gift of repentance. The Lord will take us back. The Lord is faithful to forgive us and, cl- and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so if you have sin, whether it's sin of your attitude, because right now our attitudes may stink. During the holiday season, our attitudes may be terrible. Or maybe it's just apathy. Like you care about everything else right now except Jesus. Maybe it's a habit. Overindulging, overeating, overdrinking, overspending, whatever. Repent. There's refreshment in that. The Lord redeems. Number two, reconcile. It's time to reconcile relationships. Right? Isn't that what the text said? Turn the father's hearts back to the sons, the sons or the child's heart back to the father. It means reconciliation. If we reconcile with God, we reconcile with one another. And so nothing's better than in the holiday season when you've got to sit across that person that you can't stand, that hurt you or you hurt them. Or, or even the thought of traveling to your hometown and seeing this person or whoever it is really just, just like, ah, and like it stirs emotions. Who, who's the person in your life you're not right with? Is it a spouse? Is it a parent? Is it a sibling? Is it a coworker? Is it a friend? Do you have them in your mind right now? You're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Start saying names in your head and that when you get that cringy feeling like, ugh, there it is. Some of you are like, I'm right with everybody. I just avoid them. <laughs> Question for you is this. Did God avoid you when you weren't right with him? You just got Jesus juked. He didn't. Broke your ankles. Who is it? Talk to God about it. Talk to that person about it. Go, go and ask, if it's you, go ask for forgiveness. Find a sword you can fall on. Be like, you know, I, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry at like... Even if you don't believe it's bad, just ask for forgiveness. It's okay. Receive. Let, like, let them ask you for forgiveness. Or even if they haven't asked you for forgiveness, forgive them. Oh, I just don't know if I can forgive that much. Make a list of all your wrongdoings in life and all the ways you've sinned against God. Make a big old list of that and be reminded of what Christ has forgiven you of. And then go to your Bibles and when it says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you and forgive. It's a process. It takes time. Reconcile. Third thing, reminders. You need some reminders. This is a season where everything is vying for your attention. We have Black Friday. We have Cyber Monday. We have Terrible Tuesday. We've got all those things going on right now. And you need as many reminders in your mind as possible. Uh, I, I go to the Smiths up here in Aliante. It's in my neighborhood. And you, uh, you know what's going on in that middle section, right? Like it's all their seasonal stuff. And they've had Christmas stuff up since like May, you know? <laughs> What are they trying to do? They're trying to get your attention. Like, it's Christmas time. It's Advent. What do you need in your peripheral? What do you need in your sight? What do you need in your way to remind you of the first coming of Jesus? Why? If you don't, you're going to get distracted. You're going to think Christmas is about Santa Claus. You're going to think Christmas is about gifts. You're going to think Christmas is about dinners. You're going to think Christmas is about your horrible family. You're going to start thinking about those things. And so what do you need? You need reminders. Simple things like Advent candles. Simple things like Read your scriptures, Bible, like put it in the way, put it on your kitchen table. That way you got a little devotion you can read or something like that. 
put reminders in your way, an obstacle even to, to not forget Jesus during the season that's all about Jesus, right? And so let's, let's, let's prepare the way for the Lord. Let's repent. Let's reconcile. If you've got any grievances with anybody, let's reconcile. And let's put reminders in our way and let's be ready. Let's be excited. Let's anticipate. Let's not forget Jesus in this season. I'm going to pray for us and let's go to the Lord's table together. Father, thank you for just taking care of us. Thank you for fulfilling your promises. Thank you for John that you send him to prepare the way for you, Jesus. God, from this story, may we be reminded that you answer prayers. God, from this story, may we be reminded that you do the impossible. Help us to be righteous before you and walk blameless with you. Jesus, I pray for those who have not trusted you that today they would turn and trust you, Jesus. Help us to be a people of repentance. Help us to be a people that reconcile and put reminders in our way of you, Jesus, along this way so our heart, mind, focus, and attention can be on you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.